ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we're talking about Scream 4, a kill by kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from beautiful Woodsboro. <laughs> almost did a, 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 a Count Dracula version of Woodsboro. Woodsboro! Woodsboro! <laughs> this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details of Scream 4 in the hopes that uh, a young high schooler's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust. If I'm making too much noise during the movie, she'll stab me in the stomach to remind me to shut the fuck up. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Oh, I, I, thought, you, I thought you'd say I'd bake you some lemon bars. <laughs> That's true. My lemon bars are on delicious. Who you ask, the lemon bars taste like ass, so I'm not sure. That's uh, a I'm either. not gonna. I'm not gonna take Galesburg for that. <laughs> you think she might have an ulterior motive when it comes to the taste of those lemon bars? Just a tip. <laughs> I love Gale in this. I love Dewey in this. This might be my favorite Dewey of all the scrapes. I love his. He he is he's a man now. <laughs> he's yeah. like I, I guess it's ten years later, so I guess I'll put him at about maybe thirty five or so. So uh-huh. yeah. So that that means his 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 voice has dropped like this. He's got a very <laughs> serious man voice and, and it just except when he talks to Gail, then his voice goes back yeah. up again and, and yeah. he sounds he gets kind of whiny, but but when he when he uh when he when he talks to his deputies, his voice drops down like this. And I I I I, I love it. I just love it so much. It's such a nice touch. There's a there's a lot of nuance happening here, and we'll get to all of it. But first, um, I did want to make this announcement. Now, we did talk about this at the end of Killer Party, but I've noticed when I look at her analytics that sometimes people, and I'm not saying you, uh, the person who's listening to me right now, but other people don't listen to the end of every episode. They might miss announcements that happen there. Um, And so I wanted to make sure to let you know, we Next, this very month in October 2021, we are beginning uh, what we hope will be something that's exciting to you. Because a lot of people have asked us over the years. You've covered uh, Friday the 13th. You've covered all the Nightmare in Elm Streets. You've covered now all the available screams. When are you going to cover Halloween? And my answer to you is we're gonna. At the end of every single month, we're going to give you a Halloween episode. The thing is, it's only available to our Patreon subscribers. That's right. Pony up some dough. Now, there's a little tip level, uh, which is great. And, you know, if you have the dough uh, for that, that's great. But if you get to the $5 and above level, you will be getting not only our regular Patreon episodes, which will now be shifting to the middle of the month, but you'll also be getting a Halloween commentary at the end of every single month, starting here on October 31st, you're going to get John Carpenter's original thriller Halloween with our voices talking 
while you watch the movie. So you can keep one earbud in one ear and just watch the movie and watch it along with you. We'll make sure to put in the notes when the movie starts if you want to skip past our setup and bullshit. But we'll tell you where we're going to start it. You'll hit play when we hit play and you'll be able to watch the movie with us almost like a, a note session. Only we're not going to write shit down at all. Yeah, if you if you ever listened to our podcast and thought, I'd love to hang out with Patrick and Gina, now's your chance. <laughs> That's right. A live hangout sesh, a live note taking sesh. Uh, you'll get uh, a view into how we watch a movie and how we watch the weirdness of it. Now, the only thing that I find frightening with this is, of course, I don't want to be killed by Michael Myers. The second thing I find frightening about it is that I won't be able to pause the movie to find the name of the band on the poster on the wall. But other than that, I think we'll be good. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, a, it'll be a fun experiment. I, I think it will be a very fun experiment. So if you have been holding off on joining our Patreon, because you're like, I don't know if they, if them just talking about a random extra movie does it for me, but you've always wanted us to hear us talk about Halloween. I mean, this is the moment to jump on board. Not to mention the fact that there's, what, over 40 episodes, extra episodes, exclusive to Patreon right now? Yeah, something like yeah. that. And, and let me tell you, they, they are really, really funny. I, I have been listening to uh, a, a lot of our back catalog and the, the Patreon episodes. We tend to be a little less structured yeah with them um you know if you uh if you have our our next our next episode is gonna was gonna be on the movie host yeah. and uh we did not talk a lot about host <laughs> 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 which is well, not to say that we didn't like host we both yeah. liked it very much but very we much, yeah. but we really went off track quite a bit <laughs> into into territory i promise you you will not see coming and I do not want to spoil it here, but it is fucking weird and it's truly <laughs> odd. And then yet it all circles back to host, which is a, a, a very cool movie. And we, 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 you know, we give it, it's, it's due there, but we also, we, we let things loose. on Patreon, Yeah. So. Our, our, you know, our solemn promise to you is that our tangents, you know, are, are tangentially related <laughs> to what we happen to be talking about at the time. Yes, like like satellites spinning around the goofiest moon you've ever seen in your life. Yes, exactly. That's a that's a perfect metaphor. So let's uh, now. So join us at, at patreon.com slash kill by kill podcast, or is it just kill by kill? Uh, I it's kill by kill. It's just kill by. It's just kill by kill. Join us there, and I think you'll you'll love what you hear. Okay. So now that we've gotten our business out of the way, let's get back to the main topic at hand. Now, we've talked about your screams, your screams two, your screams three even. But who knew there was a, a fourth scream? Gina, had you even never heard of this movie before? Never heard of it. <laughs> you, you got slightly mowed. Are you stuck on a Three Stooges um uh Platform. I, I, was thinking, I was trying to go for more of a Bugs Bunny feel, oh, sure. but but you know, <laughs> Mo will work too. Ah, six one half dozen the other. Um, but I, I had saw it in theaters, and I I had caught it after the fact. I, I it's a movie that I've warmed to. I, I liked it at the time, but I think I've warmed to it more and more and more that I've seen it. Whereas you, my friend, when was the first time you? 
saw Scream 4? Uh, about three hours ago. <laughs> Uh, and so what we're going to do with Scream, because Scream 3 was, we learned not to elongate experiences that we're not going to like. And I, I know that Scream 3 has its fans, but I think the most interesting component of that was how it's, the what was going on behind the scenes and how they reflected the monster who greenlit every movie in the Scream universe, how terrible he was. And how they reflected that in that motion picture. That to me is the most interesting part about it. And I didn't just didn't think it took one more than one episode to do that. But here was Scream 4, right? This is a movie that has gained in, re, in its reputation uh, in, the, in the past decade here. But I also wanted to give it that old-fashioned kill-by-kill treatment. So we're going to break this down into three volumes, a, a real old fashioned, a nightmare in Elm street sort of look at this to really dig into all the details, dig into these characters and give this movie a, a, as fair a shake as it deserves. And I think it truly deserves one. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I, I only watched the first half an hour because that's how we're breaking it down, but yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. I don't know if people had various expectations of it. It was a slight disappointment, uh, but they also had, and they might be repeating that, where it was it was not released at its normal December frame, nor was it released at like a Halloween or a typical scary time of year. It was just a weird time. It, was, it felt like it was being dumped. Didn't actually do well, at least at least compared to the other movies in the in the franchise. Yeah. So it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy that, that well, we can't release this, you know, at, at, you know, in December or over the summer because it's be taken to the cleaners over this. So we'll take it in January. We'll, we'll do it in January. And they were taken to the cleaners. Three hadn't left the best taste in everyone's mouth. And then they had gone on to do different things. So it, it almost felt like, I don't know, they might not have the freshest take on this, this thing, but there's a couple of advantages that scream four hands that most fourth editions don't one the return of the original screenwriter kevin williamson williamson is nothing if not a man who has ideas in addition you also have the master himself wes craven returning to the fold and begin being given a more time than usual to complete a screen movie usually he's been rushed or he's diving into it without a script or the script they, they were going to use gets tossed because it was released on the fucking internet, which what, what happened to Scream 2, and that miracle happened. Aaron Kruger is uh, still part of this, I think, was brought in once uh, they needed rewrites, which were demanded by a serial rapist who was in charge of this production. Uh, that's where I think you begin to see some of the holes in this. But for the most part, what has worked for Screams for Scream 4's greatest uh, proponent is that the ideas in this movie have only gotten stronger and stronger. It was almost like it was released too ahead of its time. You know, funny that, you know, it's 2011 and, you know, they are talking about Facebook, they're talking about Twitter, 
And and it's just like, oh, yeah, Twitter was a thing in 2011, wasn't it? <laughs> I, and, then, we, and then it occurs to me that, that I've had a Twitter account since like 2009. Now, that right. there were, you know, there have been long periods, you know, where I was, you know, a rational mind person and just didn't use it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I've had it for longer than since before this movie came out and it still feels sort of odd them to mention Twitter. And if you were looking for a better opening than Scream 3, congratulations, you got it. <laughs> this is the but, second movie. This is the second movie we've done uh, that, that, that has multiple false beginnings. I know. Isn't this weird that, well, I mean, we don't really plan on these things happening, but it always seems like, when we're batching a group of movies together, whether or not we consciously do it or unconsciously, or it's just happenstance, there are these weird threads that travel through individual movies from possession out of exorcist into killer party and multiple beginnings out of killer party into scream four. <laughs> it just, the, uh, what the advantage uh, that scream four has is that, you know, the rest of the movie after that does, does not, you know, it's not in sharp decline in entertainment to, to the, the false beginnings. Exactly. I, I, and really the only thing that would have made any of these beginnings better were to turn into a white sister music video. <laughs> God, oh my God. White sometimes, sister. Sometimes I just, I told Becky the other day that, that one of the movies we covered had a false beginning that turned into a music video by a band named white sister. And the look she gave me like, stop bullshitting. Like, no, <laughs> that is a real thing. That, is, that really happened. As I mentioned earlier, the reputation of this film has grown since it, I liked it at the time. It's right up to loving it now. But one of the things that some people mentioned at the time, they did not like the meta-ness of this opening. Whereas I feel like this is one of those commentaries where Scream is looking at itself and its own legacy and Williamson is going, okay, if I were going to do this again, like if Scream never existed and I was just going to do, propose to do it now, who might I bring in as who who might be my Gale, who might be my Sydney. And so I feel like in that the actresses that are presented in both of these openings are like these are actresses who are sort of they're surfing the wave that Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell uh created in the wake of the first screen. And they're slotted by individual hair colors so you can <laughs> tell them apart. And, uh, you know, we open on Sherry, played by Lucy Hale, who would, uh, was at that time mainly a, a CW player, but she would go on to be the star of Pretty Little Liars, which would start on ABC Family, eventually Freeform, uh, but very much in the vein of somebody who would have been that TV actress who makes a leap into horror movies. Guess what Lucy Hale's done a lot in the past four or five years? be a TV actress who makes a leap into horror movies. <laughs> and then we also have Trudy um, uh, played by the lead of the 902 and O reboot 
Um, I know this because I did a lot of promotion work for the 90210 reboot and came up with some great taglines that were used in malls across America. Back when people went to malls. Daddy, what's a mall? Don't you worry about it. You'd never have to go. Uh, <laughs> now, now, now you have Amazon and now we're all work for Amazon, apparently. But you have a very traditional ghost face convo where he calls up or she really, we don't know. Ghost faces a they. I should use the proper pronouns when I don't know. Uh, and we're already covering internet territory that will slowly dominate the narrative of this movie. And here it is Facebook and the idea that you could have a Facebook stalker. Gina, did you ever have a Facebook stalker? Not quite that, that, uh, you know, sending me messages that, that, that you know, they were going to kill me or anything like that. But I, I definitely have had one or two just randos like adding me and then like messaging me and, and, you know, liking everything and, and, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I never really felt you know, scared so, you know, so much as you kind of, you know, annoyed and puzzled. <laughs> yes, it is. I mean, because I run more of the show's socials, um, I get a lot of the DMs and whatnot. Um, and for the like 99% of them are, are people like, you should check out this movie or I really like this episode or, you know, when are you going to cover X, Y, and Z uh, for a long time? It's like, you know, do you guys have a t-shirt store? Stuff like that. Um, but every once in a while, there's a guy who wants to punch me. Um, that's fun. <laughs> oh my God. I've, I've had three or four, I'm going to fucking hit you. Like, there's no way you would say something like what you just said. And, and I, if in person, and I'm, I'm going to take you out and you're like, what the fuck are you talking? I don't even know what you're referencing, sir. I don't know what comes out of my mouth hole. So like, he doesn't even elaborate on, you never told me this before. Oh my God. <laughs> it's rare. I would say once a year. And, and it's the same, it's the same person. No, no. I blocked the person who really took it to a next level. I, I kept screenshots and whatnot, but every once in a while. And then there's the occasional, we've talked about it before, there's a, a distinct belief amongst a, a sector of, of listeners that believe that I am secretly gay. When just... <laughs> It just that, you, my, that you told me because because yeah. I guess because you are you are comfortable saying that other men are attractive. So well, so. I don't believe anyone's Kinsey scales absolutely tip to one side or the other, and I've certainly had my experiences in my life, so I couldn't I wouldn't you know dream to call myself one thing or the other. I but yes, I enjoy beautiful men to look at, and so. If that means that I'm on the down low, then guilty is charged. But really, it just means that I look, look like looking at fine pieces of man meat. I mean, you know, whoops among us. <laughs> Truly. Does not. And if you can't admit it, I mean, I guess you don't have to. But also, you're never going to stop me. But, you know, I, I'm off the market. Uh, I mean, everyone. I mean, you should all see you should all see my 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 chats going on about the uh the, the the excellent netflix program midnight mass 
Uh-huh. Which we are mostly talking about how dreamy the male actors are on it. It's got one of your faves on there, right? I guess it does. Yeah. I, I I won, you know, the, the magnificently named Hamish Linklater, which yes. I, I just love that name. That is a fantastic name. I'm glad that when he became a professional actor, no one told him to change it. You can pick it out of a crowd real fast. I mean, how many people memory. have you ever encountered in your life named Hamish? One Hamish Linklater uh, <laughs> is the only part of that uh, that stand remake. The only scene I really enjoyed was him. Everything else just made me sad. Yeah. Oh my god! Remember when we thought kinda, we were going to do kinda, a stand? I'm kind of glad I died. <laughs> I, never got, I never got a chance to finish that. You know what? I, I never went. I never went back. Yeah, most people probably won't remember that you nearly died, and that's why we had trouble producing episodes for a while. <laughs> it was God's will, clearly. <laughs> the fates were like, we don't know if we need more of these. <laughs> Let's just randomly almost kill one of them. <laughs> Believe me, I'm looking around corners now. They've tried one of us. You know they're going to try for me next. <laughs> Don't let it be your kidneys. I might need one. (laughs) You got to love a movie that, that rips an entire franchise for not developing characters and then kills the only two characters we've ever seen in the movie. And we don't know who they are, why they are the way they are, but we do know that they are both horny for Channing Tatum's, you know, modeling face. I mean, you know, Again, who amongst us? That, that was that was back before we realized that Channing Tatum could actually act. So that that, <laughs> yeah. that that seemed to be the only thing he had going for him at the time. He had a fine looking tummy, and we thought, well, that that's a, a nice uh, idiot. And then it turns out he he can act. Um, he hasn't he hasn't been acting lately. He's he's one he's taken a a vacay. It seems to be. Yeah, he should come back. I've yeah. liked, I've liked, he's one of those people I, 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 I have, I have grown to like. He understands himself, at least he understands himself on screen. I can't speak to him personally, of course. Another thing we learn is if this isn't the original Scream House, the exterior, it's an incredible simulation. It's very similar when they go out on the deck. Oh, I'm sure it's probably the same house. Yeah. Here's the fun part of this here. We immediately get two ghost face killers. So they just like, you know, we tried the one and done in part three, but we're back to two, baby. Uh, and Trudy gets stabbed in the heart and Sherry gets slashed in the neck. And the blood here is right back up to scream one standards, maybe even more. It's- oh yeah. And also like the, 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 the kill we're going to close on it probably is the goriest kill. Yes. In, 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 right. uh, in, in the whole series up to this yeah. point. I think to my remembrance, certainly there's a lot of, you know, you see some guts pouring out in that first scream. Yeah. But that was like a pretty quick shot. This is here. She's just like laying there. (laughs) Right. You're you're seeing a lot of what should be on the inside on the outside. That's for sure. Um, But as soon as these two were killed, the stab six logo appears and we're like, Oh, that was the beginning of stab six. And then we're sitting on a couch with two other uh, TV and movie actresses that we did not know were going to be in this movie ahead of time. But yes, they are here. We're talking uh, Rachel played by Anna Paquin, 
who would be in the middle of her HBO True Blood era here, uh, which means she knows how to wear some shorts and she knows how to wear a tank top. And she's working both. And then you have Chloe uh, played by Kristen Bell. Now at this point, she's post Veronica Mars and she's right in the middle of her first main movie star run, starting with forgetting Sarah Marshall. And then she has a lot of romantic comedies that pop up after that. And then she slowly falls back into Veronica Mars. But of course, she is a, a, a star uh, of stage and screen. Like no one's weeping for either Kristen Bell or Anna Paquin. They're doing just fine right now. Indeed, We know they're different because they're two blonde and unequivocally short queens who have the built the ability to mow through dialogue at nearly Gilmore girl levels. Yeah. This is the point where I, I do. I will admit that I, I know what the twist in this movie is, mm-hmm. uh, but this was the point where I sort of was like, Oh boy, here we go with, with <laughs> like uh, Anna Paquin's character is kind of going on this, this tangent about how, you know, how dumb these movies are and how they're so predictable and yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I'm like, eh, okay. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and, then, and then of course they're killed off. And it turns out that that's actually the beginning of another movie, which is the right. like, I was like, Oh, you got me. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting and not a lot of movies because they're not as meta as scream always is, but the scream movies at this point have had a long vacation. But what we learn is the stab movies have taken no time off at all. No. Uh, while we're, up to, we're, up to, we're up to seven at this point. They're up to seven. So they've, they have, there's a real Friday the 13th, a nightmare on Elm Street level of they're just fucking with everything at this point. Like anything to get anyone's attention to keep people coming back, they're going to, you know, give to someone. Um, but in a way there's like, there's no attempt to alter or modify the stab formula. Whereas scream has tried different things. Now they're always a scream movie, but there's something to be said with a sort of hyper thriller that scream two becomes. And then three obviously leans much farther into uh farcical uh, comedy than any of its predecessors. Right. Again, we're starting with established TV actresses uh, who upscaled to TV turned movie stars. And um, that is before Chloe stabs Rachel in the stomach twice for talking during the movie. Twitter is mentioned in this sequence, but I also feel like scaling time forward, this accurately predicts movie Twitter. Oh, yo, definitely. Yeah. Like yeah. this is what movie Twitter is. I am going to state these outrageous overreaches when it comes to cinema and then someone comes in your mentions and stabs you in the stomach. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's basically, you know, people overreacting to, to someone's thoughts of, of, on, a, on a movie. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a bummer because I would have loved to see more of these actresses in this universe. It's, it's, uh, it kind of sucks that they go away so quickly. Um, but well, that's, a, that's they, been a, that's been a, I don't know if I even use the word gimmick in the, in the movies all along. If you've got a recognizable actress showing up for, 
you know, a, a minute or two and, and either actually getting killed or, or playing a character, you know, in, in a, in a movie within the movie who gets killed off. You yeah. had a uh, Tori Amos in one of them, um, not Tori Amos, Jesus, Tori Spelling, <laughs> not Tori Amos. I was really trying to figure out Tori which S- movie Tori Amos Tori was in, Spelling. Which, which when she weeped over a fairy's death on top of a piano. <laughs> what horror movie was that connected to? Um, uh, Heather Graham was uh, yes. in, in one of them. So, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of, I, I'm curious because I am very, very out of touch with who the current, you know, hot young actresses are. So you could put anybody in, in that same, and, and they will presumably yeah. in, in, in screen five, you could put literally anybody in that role. And I'm going to be like, Oh uh, yeah, there she is. <laughs> it's going to be very interesting to see how, I mean, we're prognosticating here, but I just don't know exactly what that movie's going to be. Yeah. Is it going to, is it because we were like 27, 28, when when the first movie came out we were the target audience yeah now we're pushing 50 <laughs> and we're not the target audience for this movie anymore no but no. are they going to and, and again i'm a little averse to using the word recycle but i guess that would apply are they going to recycle the same gags you know having a a you know a a young starlet you know you know who is pretty recognizable but maybe not a-list yet uh you know playing a character at the beginning of the movie who gets killed off or you know surprises the audience because you expect that they're going to be the heroine and they're not you know i'm just wondering you know is it going to work with appealing to a a a younger more particular audience let's say Yes. And one that hasn't really, there's been a lot of slashers leading up to it. Like the reason there's another scream is because other slashers have done well, whether it's been on Netflix or on Hulu or at movie theaters with things like Happy Death Day, which I might remind the audience, they state that Stab 5 has time travel and is by far the worst and then Happy Death Day literally proves it's possible to make a good time travel slasher. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of things that are not going to be part of the special sauce that made Scream 96 what it was. But again, we haven't even seen a trailer for it yet. So we don't even know what tone it's really trying for. We know they're bringing back certain people, uh, not bringing back others. It's going to be I'm really interested because there's a lot of potential here. Kevin Williamson was part of the scripting process, but we do not have Wes Craven. We also don't have anyone from fucking Dimension Pictures. And that, I think, is the best news any of us could possibly hear. I mean, the thing I worry about is is the thing that is plaguing a lot of horror releases and particularly uh remakes or reboots or sequels of horror movies from the 70s 80s and 90s and that is people complaining that it is too quote-unquote woke uh whatever particularly no i know but but that seems to be (laughs) that the most recent example that would be the reboot of Candyman. right you know complain loudly complained about by people who clearly didn't see the first movie no 
that it did not pay attention or I don't, I don't know what movie they watched, but now quote unquote, (laughs) it's about race (laughs) where, where, whereas the original, I guess was a tragic love story. Yes. A man who died by sniffles and fell over and cut off his own hand and and placed a hook inside of it. It was not part of the lynching at all. Nothing to do with, with, you know, a forbidden interracial relationship or, or that, you know, this took place on a, you know, in a decaying, a a, a decaying project. You know, yeah, the only now, only now was this one about race. Yeah. I, I, you know, we both know these are cynical assholes who are just trying to get attention. And it's hard not to just call them out on their bullshit. But as we stated on the program before, the idea used to be that sunlight was the best disinfectant. And unfortunately, sunlight also helps shit grow. Yeah. (laughs) And and it turns out that a lot of these people have no shame. Yeah. Which is, which is, you know, that that's why I, I don't get into it with people anymore, you know, whether it's about politics or about, you know, whether things are quote unquote too woke mm-hmm. is because, you know, you can shame them and you can tell them they're idiots and you can tell them that they're, you know, they're absolutely, you know, they could not be more wrong and they do not care. No, they, they, that engagement is all they're fucking looking for. They, they have an just, en- they have an endless amount of hills to die on. <laughs> Truly, then it doesn't matter that they're constantly wrong. It's that they're constant. That's all it takes. And they and they can find enough people who will back them up, and that's that's all it takes. So yeah, I I think that if you you know have a let's say for I mean I don't know that Neb Campbell's coming back for this. I believe she is. Her Gale and Dewey are all, all but if you to come back prominently, let's say that the you know, the final girl is actually you know played by a black actress, and again, I know nothing about what the plot is going to be, but I am speculating. I'm, I'm you know I'm, I'm creating a situation. People are going to complain about that yeah. uh, if it has a Me Too angle, which it could. Yeah. Uh, uh, people are going to complain about that, that it's, you know, as, as if Scream 3 does not exist. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, Eddie, because now if you are a horror movie that, that, you know, even, you know, even slightly alludes to current events, which of course is something horror has never done up until the past 10 years or so. <laughs> right. You know, they were all in vacuums. They never are re- dark reflections of society and its problems. Yeah. I mean, you know, Nightmare, you know, you know Night of the Living Dead was just about zombies. You know, I mean, I mean, the fact that they just, you know, killed the black guy at the end without checking to make sure he he actually was a zombie. Yeah, that that was just, you know, coincidence. It didn't mean anything. Well, it's a mistake we can all make. Oopsie doodle. I have a shotgun. Yeah. You know, but but if you, you know, if it even, you know, vaguely alludes to current events, people are going to complain that it's too woke, that it's too political. And and that's, you know, that's become a problem with enjoying media is people finding the dumbest boneheaded things to complain about and just digging in and complaining about it till you, the cows come home and, and sucking the joy out of it. Yeah. And you ignore it. You still feel like it's a virus that's that you can't get rid of. And if you engage in it, you only risk increasing its visibility. It just fucking sucks, dude. You know, what doesn't suck. Scream for it. Let's get back to it. So 
we're now in our third cold open and we're on two other blondes, but they're different shades. We have Marnie played by a very talented show killer, Britt Robertson, uh, killed many a show, very talented young woman, cannot find any sort of work that goes beyond a season or two. I don't know why. I don't know what that, what that's fucking about, but TV is determined to make her a star and she's actually a good actress, but Holy shit. Tomorrow's Ted, Ted McGinley today. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, And then you have Jenny played by Amy Teagarden. And at this moment, she was in the middle of her Friday night lights run. Uh, So they're both very uh, of the moment actresses uh, who you would go. If you were going to make a screen movie, you would put them in there and they're absolutely there. Um, we do learn during the sequence that uh, we've taken Ghostface to a new level in that there is an app that allows you to sound like Ghostface. So now everyone can have it. And can I, can I, can I interrupt you for a second? Of course. Absolutely. Another thing that this sort of predicted, um, you know, almost chillingly yeah. uh, was the weird sort of obsession that, people on the internet now have with serial killers yeah which i i'm kind of hoping that and again i have no idea what the next screen movie is going to be about i i would like to hope that it's going to have something to say about internet sleuths um mm-hmm. as we record this uh we are inundated with news about a a young woman who disappeared unfortunately her body was found and her husband boyfriend uh fiance has disappeared i speculate he is probably no longer with us because he you know you don't really leave with uh you don't really go somewhere and leave your wallet and phone behind unless you know unless you don't plan on coming back right yeah but, uh, but again i'm not i'm not a detective it's not my job but people have really jumped on this that they're, they're going to solve the case they they're not going to leave it to the fbi or, or people who are trained to do this and and the interesting thing about internet sleuths is they are often very wrong. And, and to give you an example and, and sure. Newsweek ran with this as an article, uh, <laughs> the, the, the fiance in the, in the days leading up to presumably when this young woman was murdered, uh, was caught on film reading the book annihilation, which oh. we covered as a, uh, as a, uh, as a Patriot episode a few uh-huh. months ago. Yeah. Surely this means something because in Annihilation, women disappeared it. <laughs> I mean, a guy disappears first, and that's why it kind of sets that off. But, uh, oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, people like, need to stop. Yeah. It's like you did not read this book. That is such a small part of that book. <laughs> like I said, the, the book of Annihilation is practically a textbook on, yes. on, on, on plant life and, and flora and fauna and, and, and it, it, that's such a small part of it, but you've got people like, you know, like, like Richard Dreyfus making the mashed potato sculpture and saying, this means something, <laughs> this is important. Oh, I shouldn't be laughing, but I'm laughing to keep from crying because you're absolutely right. Again, this is the type of, of, thing that that people thought was some quarter some some sort of reach 
uh, when Scream 4 was released. Right. And it's only become with more and more time that Scream 4 had a lot of good ideas in its grasp. Right. It didn't need to reach. You, Everything you, came towards Scream 4. Like in 2011, you would have thought the idea of, you know, an app in which you could imitate the voice of someone who had murdered, uh, where are we at by this point? 30 people yes, by this, by this probably. point where mm-hmm. you would think that this was a fun and wacky thing for, you know, companies to sell and people to play pranks on each other with. And yet, you know what, if you go on Etsy, uh, you can find like, like, tumblers like you know like like uh uh like drink containers yeah drink containers that have like blood splatter on them you can find embroidery samplers that say like eat me like Dahmer oh Jesus fucking Christ it's you know yeah it's very funny it's like oh I have a morbid sense of humor (laughs) and but it just like it, it is because of the human brain's ability for better or for worse, to think of a murder or a crime and kind of shut out the idea that real people were involved in these and that, mm-hmm. you know, people died and, and families lost their children and their spouses and their parents. And just because it's so, because true crime is so hyper-focused on the killer that you don't remember, though there was actual people who were hurt who, who, who suffered. Right. But, you know, and here's this funny thing, you know, I've got this app, I'm going to play pranks on my friends with it. Yeah. Uh, it just predicts in a, in a weird way, the artificial interaction that we all have access to now. And it seemed too far out there at the time. And now it's like, well, that seems very 10 years ago <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, but uh, let's get back to the reason why we're here. And that is to talk about the pretend deaths of people in a movie. Um, and here we get uh, Marnie and I'm not entirely sure how she's originally killed, but we get a real massive Voorhees upper body strength display here when her dead body is defenestrated through uh, two windows. And I'm like, I'm I love this movie already. We're into it. <laughs> this is going exactly the way I want it to. Uh J- Jenny then demonstrates a lot of film theory at one point where she's like, uh, listen, I'm not gonna hop into shadows. I'm are you just out of frame? All this stuff. Um, but it none of that stops her from getting stabbed in the back, tossed down the stairs, crunched by a garage door, and then finally stabbed in the heart so that we can finally get to the Scream 4 logo. We did it. We did it, everybody. We get a little ghost face mask behind it in the whole nine yards. Uh, probably the best title treatment of any of the Scream movies, but there you go. We, we finally got the actual font involved. Uh, I enjoyed that part. Uh, cut to the soothing melodies of the sounds. It's the something to die for is the song being used here. Uh, the sounds were uh, pretty good band i believe of nordic origin uh you didn't hear much from them after their first album um but i think the song was written specifically for the movie which is why it's a little heavy-handed in the lyric department (laughs) just a touch 
but that's okay. Uh, everyone likes a scream soundtrack, even though Creed has appeared multiple times on a scream soundtrack. So not exactly batting a thousand, but no one does. Um, we re 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 reintroduced to Sydney in the town center of Woodsboro. She's resplendent in mauve. Uh, again, we like to introduce uh, women characters in screen movies in a solid character, in a solid color. That, that's how you want to see them. Uh, <laughs> she she, looks, is she in, looks great. Oh, she looks fucking fantastic. Listen, this is perhaps a movie where people look the most fantastic they ever have. Like even the hair on Britt Robertson in the previous scene, you're like, holy shit. The hair team loved her. Look at that. It's bouncing. It's behaving. It's all over the place. Everyone's getting a unique uh, hair look. No one's bangs are cut just below the crown of their head. <laughs> yeah, they Holy went back fuck. and fixed all their mistakes. Right. Uh, they're going to treat everyone right in here. And uh, Sydney, we learn, has a new autobiography out uh, entitled Out of the Darkness. And she has decided to end her book tour in Woodsboro on the 15th anniversary of the original killings, which sounds to me like a bad idea. Yes. Uh, she is flanked by her publicist, Rebecca, played here by Allison Bree. Yet another TV phenomenon. She's right in the middle of her community peak at this moment in time. And Allison is into full... Uh, kerfluffled bitch mode i think is what we might call uh rebecca <laughs> she's she can't for a pr person she has a very hard time communicating to human beings yeah oh the irony yeah um but honestly this movie is literally batting 800 when it comes to casting there are very few times where it falls below where it needs to and when it does I will let you know. Um, but we need to cut to what we all want to hear. And that is the Axel F theme by Harold Faltemeyer. <laughs> uh, that's Dewey's ringtone. Did you know that there are lyrics to Axel F? I did not. Uh, before it was the Axel F theme, it was a completely different song. Same melodies, same tones, but there were lyrics added. Uh, I'm going to give you some right now. Sitting out upon the front steps, busting at the seams, woe driven by desire. City boy stares at the sunset. I That sounds like a terrible fucking song. Yeah, that, You take yeah. those out and you've got Axel F, a great song. <laughs> all I want to hear when I hear that, like all I want to see is someone stuffing a banana in a tailpipe. It's perfect. <laughs> Do not fuck it up with words. Um, and under the covers, uh, there is Dewey. He's woken out of a deep sleep. Uh, and he's moving pretty good for a guy with multiple stab wounds and nerve damage. Yeah, he looks great. Again, looks great. Listen, the last, uh, you know, I, I guess it's been a decade since his last run in with a ghost face. So, you know, he's doing great. Uh, we also learn he's reading Sydney's book. Um, and then right next to him, we learn is Gail Weathers. They're finally starting in a place where they are together. Not only that, but she's adapted 
to do his job to the point where when he's woken out of bed by his ringtone, she can sleep right through it. So that's where they are in life. She's like, has become domesticated to a a degree where she's comfortable with his sheriffing lifestyle. Uh, And he has a deeper voice when he talks to other people in his department. I, again, I, I'm a little baffled and I, I am baffled that this seems to be the case in the, in the upcoming Halloween kills Mm-hmm. Uh, in that everybody has, other than Sydney, has chosen to remain in this town where where they've experienced so much trauma. Right. Yeah. I, I think. I, know, th- I think that when I watch Halloween Kills, I, I'm really going to have to put that aside. Yeah. That that they ev- that everybody stayed. Everybody stayed in this little tiny ass town. You know where where just you know so much horror and pain happened in it, and they just decided to stick around. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, uh, even with that particular, let's say Halloween, uh, 2018 Halloween kills, right? The last time something terrible happened there in that particular movie connectivity is 1978. The last time something bad happened in Woodsboro specifically was 1996. So it's not like, because she hasn't been there. It's not like Scream 2 also took place there. It's not like Scream 3 also took place there. That being said, they're constantly being inundated with a new stab movie every other year. So they're kind of getting that rehashed that way. But it's not like there's always ghost face murders constantly happening in Woodsboro. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it, seems, <laughs> it's just, it just seems weird that after the third time, you know, Dewey goes through this shit that he doesn't retire from from police work and you know you go live in the mountains or something yeah no that's very true I mean I think the only uh, rational idea is like Dewey returns back to Woodsboro because that's where his family still is so he might not want to move out of there why Gail decides to settle down in Woodsboro that is a bigger problem because it's it still seems when she interacts with people that it's like she just showed up last week yeah oh oh yeah she still just looks at everybody like they smell bad (laughs) um and one of the things that i kind of like here but you can also tell is like a studio note is that gail is set up here to be at odds with sydney because their roles have been reversed. Gail is now the townie and Sydney is the lady with the book to sell. And that plot feels a little underserved, mainly because the protagonist roles are spread out amongst a whole lot of people. That being said, once the action gets going, they don't really have time for that. And also Sydney and Gail have graduated from constantly being at loggerheads with one another. Right now, 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 Gail's at loggerheads with uh, Deputy Judy. Yes, Deputy Judy is our our Deputy Dewey uh, a replacement. Uh, but we will we will get to her. Uh, Dewey comes out and he yells at a speeding car to slow down, uh, and it is happens to be driven by the cheerleader that NBC demanded America save, Hayden Panettiere, uh, who is my favorite character in this movie and perhaps in the entire franchise. Uh, She's Kirby Reed. 
Um, and Kirby, as we will learn, is sort of a Randy 2.0 in that you don't want to murder her constantly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you definitely don't have these sort of, you know, hissing whenever she appears on screen. Yeah. Um, you, the bugs have sort of been worked out at this point and you're, you know, you're entirely like me. Welcome to staying a legend in the making. If they do not bring her back for Scream 2022, I'm kind of going to be pissed off. I, I might be pissed off. <laughs> Have uh, you seen her name pop up in the... In no. Sort of, no? Okay. no. No one from Scream 4 outside of people who were legacy at that point seems to have been at least publicized their participation in this. But I, you know, I'm not the only one who feels this like a uh, friend of the show, Andrew Lassane made a justice for Kirby uh, t-shirt and I own it because I honestly believe there should be justice for Kirby. If there was justice for Han, there should be justice for Kirby, everyone. <laughs> uh, but uh Kirby is swinging by to pick up the world's least likely scream queen in Emma Roberts here playing the confusingly named Jill Roberts. Yeah. You see, you know what? I, I, I would have known the twist in this movie as soon as I saw Emma Roberts show up, like, like even if I hadn't known it ahead of time, because I've never seen her not play a terrible person. But this, <laughs> I, but this is before her long, long run of playing terrible people. My, like my this gen, started my, that run. My general exposure to her has been through um, American Horror Story. Uh, and then she's been in other, so and she always plays just kind of just awful, awful, awful characters. So yeah. even if I hadn't known in advance, you know, as soon as she showed up, I would have been like, yep, I bet she has something to do with it. What I do like watching this time uh, through is I'm specifically watching her to see how she reacts when other people learn information that she knows because spoiler alert, everyone, she's one of the ghost face. And um, <laughs> when, when she hears information, like she is not a good quote unquote actress when it comes to everyone learning something that she knows about <laughs> when everyone's phone goes off, in class, she's the only person there who doesn't look at their phone. Right. Um, so I don't know. I certainly didn't notice upon first watch, but this time I'm really looking for it. And there's a lot of nice little hints, including Kirby say, please don't kill me uh, early on uh, because she has a, a information that she doesn't like. Um, also a member of this trio. And now we're getting into that bad, you know, that, that strike quotient of 200 uh, is Olivia. Um, she is played by an actress with a SAG card. <laughs> and that's Very, all we're going to say about Olivia. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk a little bit about her later on, but I'm listen, you can't fill every role with the, I guess the best person ever. Um. And I don't, you know, maybe, maybe she's a better actress now. I don't know. But there's just, there's kind of a hole in the ozone when it comes to the environment of this movie. And she's one of them. I just don't buy her. She doesn't seem to be a part of it. Well, she, she's sort of like weirdly hostile to Sydney. 
Yeah. Like she just does yeah. not buy that that, you know, it's just incredibly bad luck on 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 Sydney's part to to you know get and, and I guess I could sort of get it, but she's just like, yeah, no. I don't even want to be around her. Yeah. But it's not like it's information that we haven't brought up in our conversations. Like what the fuck is it about Sydney where people are not only upset about things that were not inherently her fault, but to the point they need to murder everyone around her. Well, like, even there's, a, there's an interesting moment where we meet um, Jill's mother who who is the sister of Sydney's mother mm-hmm. and uh, and they're talking about Jill and uh, I can't remember if it was Libby or Kirby I think it was Kirby talking about yeah. what Sydney has gone through and the mother's like well I have scars too that was my sister she was my sister talking about it's like lady what are you talking about <laughs> and like why are you like you know, dismissing you it's weird like you're right that the movies have a very odd pattern and I, i'm not quite sure i understand what it means uh, unless it's you know some sort of metaphor for how you know you women survivors of violence are treated in yes. that in that like you know what she has been through is either minimized or she is held responsible for it in some way Yes. I mean, I, 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 I'm sure that, that Jill's mother, you know, has suffered from, you know, the loss, you know, particularly such a, a, a brutal way of her sister, but there's no way that that compares to what Sydney's gone through. Yeah. And, and it's very odd how she seems almost annoyed by them talking about Sydney. Yeah. Well, because like it's this, you know, her, her mom wanted attention and now all she wants is attention. And it's kind of like, why isn't she allowed to be herself again? We're back into the Cassandra thing from scream Two, where, because she saw things, she's now being persecuted for not only surviving them, but daring to talk about it. It's just, it's it's just very weird. But you see that all the time online now where, oh, well, this happened to you, but how dare you have the balls to talk about it in public? It's like, but what the fuck else power do I have over this situation? If you've been sexually harassed at work, if you have been assaulted by someone you knew or didn't know, or you went to a bar and you felt you were drugged and then you report that to the bar and the bar goes, not only do I not believe you, but I'm going to do everything in my power to make you look bad so that you don't make us look bad. That is what we're constantly confronting as a society nonstop. And that's just the white women, because if any of those things happen to a person of color, it's magnified a thousand times. How dare you speak of this? How dare you bring it up? It's just a constantly repeating thing here um, that extends beyond these movies. Again, horror movies being that dark reflection of what is really happening in a society. Right. Now who's getting too political? <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, I've we're always gonna, been too political, baby. We're going to, we're going to lose listeners. They're too woke. <laughs> yeah. We just started. 
we just started getting woke here because we we would like to go woke and go broke. I don't know what the fuck that rhyming scheme is, but it's a bunch of bullshit. Anyways, Jill happens to receive a ghost face call of her own. So now she can't be ghost face, right? Because how could she call herself? Oh, there might be two of them. Oh, there might be a fucking history of that. Yes, everybody. There's going to be a history of that. Again, now that anyone can sound like Ghostface, you can't know what's a prank and what is a killer's actual call. Uh, cut to Deputy Jill, who is our new Dewey, um, as it were, and played by Jean Rivette uh, Marley Shelton, who we both last discussed on Valentine this last February. And this uh, this is one of those things that I didn't quite like at the time, but I also didn't really connect it to her being the new version of Dewey. And now that I have that in my head, I like it a lot more. Yeah. I'm kind of stuck on her being so thirsty for Dewey. (laughs) (laughs) And I I feel like, yeah, we get the point. Okay. There's gotta be more to this character than, than, than this. It's true. But I think we do get a little bit more of that character a little bit later on. Um, uh, Gail is introduced by another returning person here to the Scream franchise, Nancy O'Dell, giving her third Scream appearance. Give it up for Nancy O'Dell, everyone. <laughs> a very good thing that she'd be known for something other than once being the uh, furniture shopping victim of a former steak salesman. <laughs> Fucking asshole. Let's get political. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, let's meet Robbie and Charlie. Uh, Now, at the time, (laughs) the word incel hadn't been spoken by human lips, maybe only demon lips. But we're going to we're going to review them through this lens a little bit. okay? Uh, because they are both in denial, just different levels of denial. I feel like Robbie is the big swing and a miss element here not as a character but as the entire prognostication of how blogging and social media evolve right um if you just had a can if you just had a phone in his hand and he was constantly tiktoking it would not play as weird but someone who's existing in a world where google glass not only didn't fail but happened that feels too far-fetched yeah, he's always got this, you know, the headset on and he's always, you know, imposing himself on people. Yeah, I, I just, it's not really where GoPro culture went. So, but again, no film can bat a thousand. So I think everything's okay. Uh, but we, uh, we also here kind of have him and Charlie as the, the other versions of Randy in that they're into movies and they have a lot of theories and they're inserting themselves into investigations. They're just, they just don't have that Billy and Stu dynamic. No, but I don't, obviously the film isn't going for that, but I do feel that's one of those things that is slightly missing when it comes to the male component of the movie. I don't think any of the, I don't think either of these two actors are doing a bad job, uh, but 
it's just one of those things where I don't feel that the guys here are on the same level that we saw in Scream 1 and Scream 2. No, no, I I want to agree with you. Yeah. Uh, And when they're in the hallway of Woodsboro High, I did enjoy the bust of Principal Hembry. Um, yes, sort of I love that. Yeah, just grin on on Fonzie's <laughs> face. <there. laughs> the, the worst look and a beloved actor. We can I, I, I am glad that they they paid tribute to him, though. <laughs> it's very nice. I didn't know that he wasn't. Uh, he was not uh, in the credits at all of the original screen. That that was just a pure cameo. So. That's something I just learned, everybody. I just love him so much in that. Oh, he's great. He's he's great because he immediately understands that he needs to not only be a presence, but be considered a red herring for as long as he's on screen. And he does like he understands the assignment in Scream One. Yes. But speaking of another returning, well, I won't call it fave, but a mood. Uh, in the Scream franchise is Trevor who takes that have you considered my penis idea and makes it flesh and blood oh yeah he he runs with it (laughs) he really does like a young boy in a field yeah but again I don't feel like he's dangerous not consciously dangerous whereas Billy and Stu they're kind of a little bit alien you don't know what their motives are half the time. And I know what Trevor's motives are all the time. Right. And it's, have you considered my penis? And she, and she doesn't. Jill does not. She is no longer considering his penis. Yes. So I guess the question I have, and we'll review this going forward, is, is Jill maintaining this breakup with him to make sure that he never witnesses her killing anybody? Like, is it practical? Um, That's a good question. I, I think probably, yeah. Because she kind of wants to keep him on the hook a little bit because that, that comes in handy when she needs an alibi. Uh, but when she doesn't, she can't have him around. So that push and pull, you know, it's not artificial. It's not emotional. It really has more to do with her playing, her killing people plans. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, you're probably, I think that you're probably right that, you know, this is, this is all part of the, uh, of the scheme. And so when we cut to now to, to Sid's book signing, Gail arrives in a single color again. <laughs> <laughs> the, let scream hands the theme they're gonna keep it up and you know what i'm here for it uh she does not get punched this time uh because in in a beautiful evolution her and her and sydney don't hate hate one another anymore which i think is a nice evolution of that relationship right uh but in, 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 as, in as much as gail is is able to bring herself to care about anyone she she seems, she seems to care about sydney Yes, she does seem, because they, if nothing else, they have truly been through a lot together. Like, there's something to be said for that, but neither leaves the other to die. And regardless of whether or not 
they're ever going to be the best of friends who's constantly talking. They're not that kind of friends. But there is a mutual respect society that has evolved over the years. Right. Uh, Dewey is quickly on uh, Gail's heels. He arrives to turn this book signing into a murder investigation. And we learn that the phone and knife used in Marnie and Jenny's murder has been traced back to the bookstore. Um, and <laughs> there's a moment here that I, I laughed out loud so hard. And that is everyone in the sheriff's department has adopted Dewey's running side straddle thing that he does. <laughs> All of them do it. Like it just, it shows me that someone was paying attention and I really appreciated it. Um, and it turns out in uh, the, the trunk of Sydney's uh, rental car is a bunch of bloody posters, the phone used during those murders and a needlessly clean knife with just a little blood on the tip. It's very odd. Just, 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 just a schmear. <laughs> just a, a a dollop as it were <laughs> um and yet again i i do love remixing these dynamics that sid is now kind of gale but dewey's the sheriff so judy is now the new dewey and rebecca sort of has gale's old attitude everyone's getting a little bit of something that was there before but now it's with a new person but but Dewey still got that 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 furrowed brow when he when he's upset about something. We absolutely do. So when we cut, uh, the, we we talked about the Woodsboro English class that everyone looks at their phone. But Jill, uh, over at the sheriff's statement, um, the real we get back to that big thematic link of the film that Sydney will never be free of her role as the centerpiece victim in this movie universe and uh, that also makes me wonder how they will adapt this new screen to that dynamic how will they change it how will they alter it um it's really interesting it's an it's probably one of the bigger examinations because so many of the slasher movies have new you know new final girls in every film this is one of the few that retains that quote-unquote final girl and how its relationship constantly pivots to how we view a final girl at any period of time in film history now contrast this with gail uh, because no matter how hard she tried she never became the focus of the story she's just someone who's grabbed the spotlight because she's had access to the events that would take place in a spotlight. And now you find her at this crossroads where she doesn't know how to write anything that is fiction based. She, she like the two of us writers often stare at a blank page and feel like you'd like to throw it through a window. Uh, but the main advantage now is she's not outside the sheriff's office. She has an insider's access. Um, and we get to see her try those lemon bars and dislike them. We get brief intros into Deputy Hoss, played by Adam Brody, uh, just at the beginning of what be would become a great idea for his career. And that's become a character actor and not the next Tom Hanks, which is what everyone was saying in his ear on the set of the OC. Yeah, he's done a lot of interesting stuff. He really has. Well, I think he's better as interesting stuff as the person who is third build 
as a person who's sixth build, he's he is a character actor in a lead actor's body. And, you know, some people have much better careers that way. And I'm glad he figured it out. Uh, we also uh, meet Deputy Perkins here, played by a, a pre-blackish Anthony Anderson. Deputy Anthony Perkins, which which I, <laughs> I, I love that he's named Anthony Perkins. Oh, my God. That's so good. Uh, I've somehow written for Anthony Anderson three times this year. I don't know why. <laughs> Did you tell him you loved him in Scream 4? Oh, if I ever end up on a set with him, yes. But my just my scripts get sent to his agent's office. Um, so I don't know that they're more successful at throwing suspicion at Deputy Judy than the original does at Dewey because I never buy Dewey as a real red herring in the original screen. No. Um, but there is at least a clear cut motive for her in terms of she is fixated on Dewey. And her and Gail and Dewey got together because there were murders happening. Maybe I could recreate that. Uh, oh. I, you know, I, I, nah, I never got, I never got Judy as a red herring. I, I just, mm. you know, pictured her as kind of a pest. <laughs> uh, but at least they're trying here. Um, uh, I know I've knocked David Arquette a couple times uh, when we've covered screen movies. Uh, for <laughs> either going too far or veering into a level of camp that is outside of what Scream is attempting here. But I think his reaction when Gail states out loud, well, then I'm going rogue is priceless. Yeah, he just, like, he looks like he looks like she slaps him. <laughs> really does. He just like he flinches, <laughs> but like 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 what? <laughs> you? Okay. Not only like we're, we are a happily married couple. We are a unit. You understand the pressure I'm under because I'm not just off on my own, randomly investigating things at a, at a college campus or a Hollywood studio. You know that they're going to put more pressure on me as a sheriff. And he instantly goes back to that 25 year old version of him. Just a, a for a split second. It is just, really great work. Yeah, I mean, he's trying to do a pretty good job of holding it together and holding the fort down and and somehow or another he manages to command respect and and I, <laughs> I I'm not sure how, but but you know, he does have you know, his deputies all seem to to you know, worship him and and I think his reputation as someone who is as un- solved he's unkillable. three mass murders like that has something to do with it, right? I was, just, I was listening to one of the uh, earlier screams that we covered. And one of uh-huh. one of my favorite things that you said was that you hope that like Dewey just gets to die peacefully in his sleep at some point. <laughs> He deserves it. He deserves to pass away in peace. Like he's given enough. Really, he has. Like like uh like the end of um Six Feet Under when the guy's on a cruise and he just gets up and falls over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just uh, oops, my soul left my body. That's that's what you, what what better way could you ask for? Honestly? Uh speaking of great responses. <laughs> When uh, they're all in the conference center and uh, they go, all right, so uh, Jill, you received a phone call. Olivia, you also received a phone call. And Kirby's like, wait a second. 
I didn't receive a phone call. And he goes, mm, interesting. And she goes, does that mean that I'm going to, that I'm not going to live as long as these two are? And he responds with, no, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> the, the timing between the two of them really works. It just, it feels like this is on better, sure feet than anything that happens in Scream 3. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can't take away the balls that Scream has to take on Weinstein on the set of his own movie. Like, you can't take that away from that movie. It owns that. It's just not a great Scream movie. <laughs> and that's that's where it falters. So uh, we've had our say on that. Please listen to our Scream 3 episode if you haven't already. Um Emma gets a visit from her visibly asshole-ish ex-boyfriend. <laughs> like, I, I just, I don't get this kid. He's not, he's not giving me Billy enough vibes entering her bedroom. Um, no, no. He's not, he's not sexually menacing. He's not dangerous. I don't, like, <laughs> Billy is a lot of things. <laughs> One of them is a murderer. Um, but the other thing is like, he feels like a devil tempting you on your shoulder. And this kid just can't generate that power. And I just, if it's a choice, I don't understand the choice. And if it's, he just didn't work out, there had to have been better takes. I just (laughs) just have to believe that. Oh my God. He is, um, this guy's performance does not it doesn't have multiple levels. Like he doesn't need an escalator. It's all on one plane. Well, is it a, is it an issue with his performance or is it that his character is a little underwritten? There's a lot of characters in this movie. There's a lot of that. If anything, you know, this is one of those movies um, because it is a sequel that has to serve a lot of people's stories there are some stories that just don't work out well. I just feel like, you know, Kirby's not somebody who's given a lot to quote unquote do. It's just that Hayden Panettiere makes the most of every moment she has. And that's where I feel like this is kind of a casting problem. It, they're not helped by the script. Yeah. When it comes to that kid, it just not. But he's also not making a meal of what he has on his plate. No. Um, spotted in Jill's bedroom. Because <laughs> we, you know, we love a bedroom here. Uh, you have uh, U2's Joshua Tree poster. Does she strike you as a U2 fan? Not Joshua Tree. That, that was, that album was, was pushing 25 years old at, uh, it, by 2011. Yeah. I mean, if she hasn't already found what she's looking for, she's not going to find it in that poster. <laughs> Then you have an ad bill for something called Farewell Republic, which is either a Daft Punk concert or two Mandalorian bounty hunters. I can't tell which. (laughs) Uh, On the door, you have a little ad bill for your favorite film, Gina, An American Werewolf in London. Yes. Uh, On the closet, we seem to have an ad bill for what seems to be a reggae show. Again, you two reggae fan. I not not think. quite not quite as unlikely as the random Indigo Girls poster, but no. But we also have what may be a poster of Panic at the Disco or 
Coheed and Cambria. I can't decide which. I don't. I don't have a Blu-ray of this. I can't throw it up on a big screen. So I'm just squinting at a computer screen, looking at this. <laughs> uh, and so we're we're setting up here for our end of Act One murder. We have Perkins and Haas in a squad car outside. Uh, Julia pulls up. She openly wonders why Jill is hanging out with Sydney. After all, she's some sort of uh, whirlpool of death that just pulls angel any person of death. into it. She keeps calling yeah. her the angel of death. Um, but uh, this is when Sydney is confronted by Judy hiding in the shadows. And this is where I feel there's a successful attempt at Judy as red herring. Maybe. I, I don't know. I, I, that, that, that didn't quite land with me. I mean, I will say for me, I enjoy that she's like, don't you remember for me from school? I was in these classes. We were both in the same plays. You were the lead and I was this person off to the side. And you're kind of like, oh, she's kind of jealous that all of this attention, quote unquote, that Sydney was paid. Of course, that attention was people attempting to murder her. <laughs> and, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe she did a couple interviews about being murdered, almost being murdered several times on television. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And she finally got that oh so elusive uh, Nancy O'Dell interview as well. So <laughs> that's something to be jealous of. Um, but what we're setting up here is for another, what I think is a pretty good suspense sequence for a scream movie. It's, it's not scream two level. Um, but I think this is a nice setup because you have three girls, three phones, two bedrooms, two closets. It's like, uh, it's like a old fashioned rear window sitch. So, we get a volley of calls in between Jill and Olivia. And then Kirby gets a ghost face call. So they're n- neither of them are all on the same call. Kirby is receiving information from Ghostface that he's hiding in a closet. She assumes it's the closet in front of her. And we learn, nope, it's actually Olivia's closet that he's hiding in. Yep. That's a pretty great, that's a pretty great bait and switch, I gotta say. I just, I think it's one of those things that a lot of films try, but Scream is so much better at accomplishing, with the exception of Scream 3, that they, that Wes, 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 I almost said Wes Anderson, Wes Craven understands that these murder sequences have to have their own mini hook to them. There has to be something more than just being stalked and killed. He wants to do more with the medium. So what's a movie that he's always kind of wanted to do? Well, he's played with it a lot in Red Eye, and you see it kind of pay off here in Scream 4 of that everyone's separated, everyone's on a different line of communication, and ultimately, you know, Ghostface is using that to their advantage. And he there this is uh this this kill sequence is pretty gruesome. Yeah, I, I was shocked at how uh at, uh at how gruesome it was. I mean when she raises her hand to defend herself and he buries that knife through the hand, you're like, this movie is not playing around. Right. Like 
<laughs> and she just like she's like laying in like a pile of her own guts. Oh, it, I mean, she gets she gets thrown through a window. It's defenestration number two in this movie already. You know, defenestration oh. and pulls her back in. Yes. And what, you know, tears her stomach open. And Sydney, unlike, you know, Kirby and Jill, well, not for Jill necessarily, but in the in the scope of what we know in the movie, like this is the first time they're seeing this sort of thing, whereas Sid sees it realizes what's happening and leaps into action. We get action Sydney back. Yes. Um, and she goes across the street, busts through the door, runs up to the room. But Olivia, she is an ex member of this cast by the time she gets there. I mean, you know, nothing of value was lost. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue with that point. The amount of blood in that fucking room. They're going for it, man. Yeah, I'm just picturing some like a, some you know crew member with like just like you a garden hose just turning around, just spraying everything. <laughs> there is a lot of spray in that room, and I would love to talk about more, but you know what time it is? It's choose your own death venture time. That's right, folks. This is where we decide of the deaths presented in this section of the movie, which one would you choose to die from and why? Up for bid, we have just a straight old stab to the chest, uh, a straight old throat slashing with plenty of blood coming out. You got the uh, stabbed in the gut. You get stabbed, then defenestrated. Then you get stabbed in the back, hand, stomach, and defenestrated, ultimately gutted. Gina, you're the only other person here. That's why you're going first. Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, it, it would seem very me to get stabbed in the stomach for talking too much. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I feel like Olivia's is the most spectacular death. Yeah. Sure, but it yeah. does go on. And, yeah, and, she gets a lot of death. Yeah, and I definitely don't want my back broken because that just seems like a horrible way to go. So, mm. yeah, I'll just take stab in the stomach for for, for talking too much and, and trying to sound like I'm smarter than I actually am. Um, I, The only reason I'm going to change my answer, because, yes, I do believe I would get stabbed in the stomach for talking too much. I mean, this podcast, even this episode, is reason enough for me to get stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> But I think I'm going to go with stabbed and then defenestrated because I love that idea of a person so worked up by killing that they have the upper body strength to throw you through a window. Just just pick you up like a sack of potatoes and toss you through the window. I I mean, that goes back to, you know, Friday the 13th where, you know, once a movie, you get one person tossed through a window. It's just what a way to go, you know? Yeah, like I said, I I I do you know, go for the spectacular, but like I said, the, the Libya is just too much. It was too much. We should have at least one defenestration T-shirt. Yeah, we probably should. We should. Uh, we'll have to work on that. Uh, we have we have work on on all sorts of cool things coming your way. But before we get to that and our wonderful Tea Public store. Uh, Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. I recently reviewed uh, Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass, which is wonderful. 
I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. Uh, if I had time, I would love to be able to do a episode by episode breakdown of that. Perhaps that is something in the future. We shall see. Um, and uh, some upcoming stuff I'll be reviewing is uh, Halloween Kills, uh, which mm-hmm. we are also going to be doing an episode of. Uh, yeah. And uh, Todd Haynes' documentary about the Velvet Underground, which I am very excited about. Wow. Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Yeah. You look it up, people. Uh, do it today. You can find us on the Twitters, on the Facebooks, on the Instagram. Uh, you can find us over on Letterboxd. We have a T Public store. Of course, we have the Patreon, which we, we discussed uh, earlier in the episode. And uh, of course, please rate and review us on iTunes or whatever your review uh, situation may be, whether it's Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. It helps us be seen and heard by more people. And if you talk about your favorite, uh, you know, kill about any of the movies that we've covered, of course, we'll talk about it here on the air. That is our solemn promise to you, the Kill by Kill listener. Uh, until next week when we're talking about Scream Volume 2, even more Scream 4 coming your way. Don't worry, folks, because the body count will continue for myself and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye! Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast, fantasy action mystery friendship.